Uh, we are continuing, folks. You know, we're looking at the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, and we're looking at the book of Acts in the New Testament, and we're looking at a similar theme that strands both. What is it to be exiles and ambassadors? An ambassador is somebody sent by one place to another place to represent the, the affairs of state which they have sent. They live under the jurisdiction of the place that sent them into a place that we find ourselves as exiles. Why exiles? Exiles are people who are taken from their home, often homeless, sent to another place, unable to return. And the exiles is something that we see within the Old Testament that God's people from various times are taken from their homeland, scattered far and wide. And there's also a kind of a theological understanding how, how we understand our, that we are disconnected from God, that we have a home. It's called heaven. And we are citizens, the Apostle Paul tells us, of another place. And so whilst we're kind of doing daily life, day in, day out, wherever it is that we live, in whatever world of work we live, we are citizens of two places. We are citizens of this world and of another place. And we are called to bring the kingdom of the other place to this place. And if you're checking us out, if you want to know what is this church about, we love the city of Sheffield. We believe that God is called for the city of Sheffield to seek its peace and its prosperity, to see it thrive, to see it grow, to see whatever work that God has placed us in, we're to do it to the best of our abilities to bring glory to him for the sake of this city. So that's a little bit about what we're about. And we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 4. And we started off last week, uh, we looked at verses 1 through to 14. And then today we're looking at the latter half of chapter 4, which is 15 through to 23. And last week looked at, we looked at cynicism. Oh, it was cheery, folks. It's always cheery to look at cynicism. But it's good to look at cynicism because these are, folks, sometimes cynical times, are they not? Okay, <laughs> they are. And so uh, we're all affected by it. I, I know so, I certainly am. And what we thought about last week is that sometimes... The, the, the problem with when cynicism kind of sets in, when it becomes permanent in our hearts, it becomes difficult to fully appreciate who God is, yet alone what, he, what he's doing. And this week, we're looking at another C, consumption. Oh, it's going to be cheery. I can tell everybody's excited. Okay, let's read it, uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. What an incredible sight that must have been. Then I said to, um, oh, I've missed a bit. Oh, that's I'm getting carried away. Okay, in each of the builders wore his side, side, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Very sensible, Nehemiah. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Let's just repeat those for dramatic effect. Our God will fight for us. Amen. So we continued the work with half of the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. 
At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helpers stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers, just listen to these words, I love these bits. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when we went for water. Wow. It must have been a bit of an odour, folks, don't you think? Or maybe you're too holy to find that kind of stuff funny. I find it quite funny. I don't know what causes arguments in your house. Ours are big, meaty theological ones. Predestination, free will. Now, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's what do you watch on the television? We have three small kids. We have a three-year-old as of Friday. We have... Th- thank you. Have a three... <laughs> Three-year-old is a Friday. We have a six-year-old, soon to be seven, and a ten-year-old. All of them like different things. So our youngest loves to watch a show called Bluey. It's an Australian show. It's brilliant. I'd recommend it. It really is. So Bluey, my son watches anything to do with dinosaurs or vehicles. He just loves it. It could be anything. He's not first thing as long as he's got a dinosaur or a vehicle, he's pleased. Then our oldest child will watch a variety of things. She's got into blankety-blank, folks. (laughs) And they still give away the checkbook and pen, which I just think is wonderful. In fact, it's such a blessing to my mum and dad. They still use a checkbook. In fact, if you go to Birmingham over the next couple of weeks doing your Christmas shopping, there are queues outside, folks. Not because of supply issues or Brexit, because my mom insists on using a checkbook. And then she has to explain to the millennial who's serving her what a checkbook is. Honestly, it is a, it is a sight to behold. And what happens is at home is that because of the kids of different generations, because we have a thing called a fire stick, which we plug into the side of the telly because we're too cheap to buy a smart TV, it means that they can watch whatever it is they want to watch. And so it kicks off pretty much on a daily basis about who's going, to get the, who's going to get the remotes and who gets the choice. And my wife is amazing at arbitrating these arguments. I think she should be sent to deal with some of the big issues in the world. Okay, China, you've had your bits. You've had your 20 minutes. Now it's your turn. I think, you know, there's a level of diplomacy that comes with parenting small kids. And I find myself saying the words that I thought I would never, ever say. In my day, (laughs) we didn't have this choice. In my day, we came at 3.30, we had electricity, we were grateful, and we just watched one of the four folks' channels, and then the fifth one. And I find myself becoming my dad, explaining why they should be grateful for the level of technological advancement they clearly don't appreciate. You see, they have choice. Phenomenal choice. In fact, there's a question of whether they do have choice or whether it's the algorithms that kind of seek out and kind of track you down and tell you what it is you want to watch. We live in a world where we can consume anything. So we're screaming then. I hope that's okay. And, uh, so, uh, I hope you know, that'll come out praying fasting, Heather. I'm absolutely sure. Just keep praying. We live in a world where we can have multiple choice where our children are discipled, our children experience the great level of choices that certainly I didn't have and some of the generation amongst certainly didn't have. I spoke at the previous gathering at the nine o'clock and they certainly didn't have that level of choice. That level of consumption, choices, multiple choice. It strikes me that this is a fascinating part of Nehemiah chapter four. 
Well, what we saw last week is a man called Sambalat, and we, we made the gag. I made the gag about him sounding like an Ikea desk. Sambalat, it's a cheap gag, but it didn't work today. It kind of barely worked last time, but I thought I'd go for a cheap laugh. And Sambalat has a bit of a deal. He, he, he's a, a strategic politician. He's, a, he's from Babylon, and, he's, and he works for a man called Artaxerxes, who's the king of Persia. And what, uh, what Sambalat has done is he's kind of formed an alliance with all the power, the power people, the, the kind of political uh, power shakers all around um, Jerusalem. And it's in his interests that, that Nehemiah's plans, Nehemiah has been a deep passion to rebuild Jerusalem's walls, knowing Jerusalem, the, the sacred, beautiful city where God will, uh, will host God's presence in the temple lies in ruins. And, and when he first hears about that, he is bereft and heartbroken. And it kind of reminds us that the things that God often speaks to us with, that the things can break our hearts, that, that vision comes not necessarily from angels dancing on the duvet telling us to do something, but it can be the frustrations that things aren't happening, or it can be from a broken heart. And so Nehemiah wants to return. He's an ethnic Jew. He wants to go to his homeland. He wants to rebuild Jerusalem. And so he begins to do that. He begins to form teams. And the people that are rebuilding the war, they're not necessarily expert builders. They're people who are, they're Jewish people. They, they believe in the vision that God has given him. They believe in the prophecies that God will restore, that God will restore Israel, that God will restore Jerusalem and his people will return there. So they get behind him. And at the start of chapter 4, we see something of the spiritual battle that we all face. That Sambalat comes along and he, in his clever questions, five or six questions that he asks, seeks to undermine their identity, their calling, their purpose. He uses kind of a mockery and he just undermines them. That kind of spiritual warfare, that spiritual reality that we face, that the devil we see in scripture is known as the liar, the accuser. That the Bible gives us this framework of why, why things happen in the world around us. That there's an author of that, the enemy of God. And he comes to try to seek, to steal, to rob and destroy. And there's this moment when Nehemiah prays like crazy and, the peop- and he encourages the people to, to fight for their families and what happens is they hear that uh, people are going to come like an insurgency and try and kill them. It must be absolutely terrifying. But God breaks through. And then in what we've read today, there's this amazing, amazing um, reality for Nehemiah. He is a strategic genius. He, he was a slave guy who worked for King Artaxerxes. But yeah, he has these incredible skills. And he turns Jerusalem into a fortress. And he says to his people, you can't go home. You need to stay here. Because he thinks if they go home, they might not come back. Or they may be captured, so you stay here. He's like, every time you work with your trowel, you have your sword. Your sword and your trowel. The sword and the trowel, it becomes, if you read through the scriptures, it becomes this, this motif of standing, experiencing great battles, but yet also doing the things that God wants us to do. C.H. Spurgeon, the famous Baptist, as well as Alan Ward, another famous Baptist, but one of the most famous Baptists, Spurgeon, wrote a number of books called The Sword and the Trowel. I don't know what happens to you. Certainly for me, when battles begin to come in my own life, I get very, very, very distracted. I don't know about you. When things become to press on my time, I can lose focus. I can begin to look at other things. I can become to get fearful or lose heart. I can become cynical. I can lose a sense of hope or 
that God's going to break through. I can easily get distracted one way or the other. And sometimes in battles, we can leave what it is we're doing altogether. You can experience such an intense battle that maybe for a season you decide not to go to church or not to go to home group because life is too intense. But Nehemiah doesn't do that. Nehemiah stays exactly doing what it is that he is called to do, which is to rebuild the wall, to carry on with the thing that God has tasked them and called them to do, but yet stay knowing that God is faithful and he'll bring breakthrough, but yet to be totally and utterly prepared to continue to build and yet get ready for battle. To continue to build and get ready for battle. You see, some of the stuff that we've talked about the last couple of weeks is that we believe that we're made in the image of God. We believe that's fallen and broken. And one of the things that Jesus does is when we encounter him and restores us, he restores that image back to him. That we, you know, we look in the mirror and kind of look and think, I think we're okay. Realize that God has a purpose for our lives, that that's part of part of that calling is to 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 represent God, to to do things for us. It means when you go to work tomorrow. You're not there by accident. You're there as an ambassador. Why an ambassador? Because part of the calling of God is to represent him because we bear his image. And what we see here is that Nehemiah says to his people, we are to continue to do, to bear God's image. We are continue to do the things God's asked us to do, which is to rebuild the wall. And we are to part of the way of doing that is to prepare for battle. So that's why they sleep with their swords. That's why they have a trowel in one hand, sword with the other. And that's why Nehemiah does not change his clothes for a long time. That's why they work round the clock. That's why they keep watch because that's the call of God on their life. What is the thing that perhaps could most undermine our call? as a church, and as individuals, to the city. It's consumerism. This year, our family and I went to Cornwall. We had a great time. And as we prepared to go on holiday, my wife encouraged me to um, take my phone and find the off button and turn it off which I rarely ever do. We have a policy in our household. We don't have phones upstairs, no screens upstairs. We have a thing called an alarm clock. Used to have them in the 90s, do you remember? With a battery and you flip, it's amazing. And it goes off at the time you want it to. Unless you have a six-year-old child who likes to change the time. And as I woke up a little bit earlier than I planned today, I thought, he's got me again. Cheeky what's it? So an extra 20 minutes with the Lord, which I'm very, it's very grateful at the time, folks. I'm not going to lie. We have certain points in the day where we, um, we put the phones away so we can be present at meal times and stuff like that. My wife said to me, I think it'd be great if you could just turn off your phone for two weeks. I'd love to have said, I thought, what a great idea. I thought, oh, how am I going to keep in touch with people? Not that anybody ever calls me on it anyway, but I just thought I need to keep in touch. So I bought a burner phone, five quid from Argos with 10 pounds of credit. It took me about three weeks to work out to get the credits on, folks. But I will say, one charge, it lasted about six weeks. Incredible. That will solve the ecological crisis right there. And what's amazing, when I turned it off, a sense of 
incredible freedom came over me. Honestly, it was just like growing up in the 90s again. Didn't have to worry. I had my little burner phone. I had three numbers on it in case the church burnt down, in case there was a massive crisis. Somebody could call me. But otherwise, this phone was off. Do you know what I noticed? I noticed something extraordinary. I noticed that when we took the kids to a playground, um, I noticed something which I'd never seen before. Is I noticed that there'd be parents holding their mobile phones on one hand, pushing their children in the other, all the while looking at their phone. I thought, do I do that? Am I missing out on significant parts of my children's life where they're sat right next to me because I'm glued on this screen, looking at somebody else's life, who I don't really know anyway. The level of anxiety that, that, that comes to us when we're checking social media. The dopamine hit we get when we put something on that gets a lot of likes. Honestly, try a th- three-year-old girl on her birthday. That gets a lot of likes on Instagram. Every one like that you get and I get releases dopamine in the brain. It sends our neurotransmitters wild and we become addicted. I'd have told you, I don't think I'm addicted to my phone at all. But I noticed turning it off, I just go back as I walk past it, I press the button at the bottom to see if there's anything there. Loads of times in the day, in the end, we had to put it somewhere else. And do you know what I realised? I did not miss it at all. I'm not anti-social media. I would definitely recommend you watch Social Dilemma. I definitely recommend read any books written by people from big tech companies who are now saying that these phones, a bit like smoking cigarettes in the 50s and 60s, probably in the future, we'll, put, we'll look back at them and say, don't think we should have given them to our kids. And I've definitely seen outside at junior school where my daughter goes, kids coming out in year five holding their iPhones. I'm not saying I'm anti-social media, but I'm saying we've got to realise that they are rewiring our brains. And that isn't just me with a rant. That is evidence. That is clinical evidence which is telling us that they are rewiring our brains. Why is that an issue? It tells us because we know from big tech companies that one of the things that social media does now is in the old days, in the 80s, you would weigh the quality of an advertisement by how many sales it's generated. Now it's whether through the introduction of algorithms, which mean that things pop up on your screen, whether they can change your behavior. It's terrifying. And what the other thing is it leads us to understand, leads us to is that I can click a button, I can have a taxi within whenever I in like within five minutes. I can watch when that taxi arrives, I can click a button, I can order my food, I can click another button and I can order my uh, book or whatever it is to arrive the next day and get annoyed if it doesn't. It can begin to affirm that I am the center of my world. I can look at other people's profiles and feel unhappy about our lives. I'm absolutely convinced. I have no clinical evidence for this at all, but I'm thinking that the chronic mental health crisis in our young people is largely linked to social media because we're seeing images that are not real, that um, have filters overlaid of them, and it cripples people with insecurity. And so it, it instills in us consumption. That if I have more and more and more and more, I'll be happier. And we know that the reverse is true, folks. 
We know that if we consume more, it doesn't make us any happier. In fact, it makes us more unhappy. We have more stuff now than at probably any other generation, and one of the wealthiest nations on the planet. But we are the, some of the unhappiest people that there are. It's crazy. So what is it that Nehemiah can teach us in building and battling? We are being discipled. We are being hardwired to consume more and more and more. That electric car will change your life. So the advert goes. But it might actually be fun, wouldn't it, to drive around? Because they've got an amazing 0 to 60, I tell you. Or that Velux window and that fantastic kitchen. Or that fantastic sofa, or whatever it might be. Because there is a story that is attached. You go to Ikea, those guys are clever. They make it smell nice, don't they? And it's not just selling products, it's selling a story, it's selling an identity. Every one of them has a name. You're given a name by God. Every product has a name, it has an identity. You buy that, you buy that product and it gives you that kind of attached identity. Consumption. And yet God says, I will give you everything that you need to build and to battle. Nehemiah tells us, building. Building is something that I'm, I am contributing to. So if you're checking this out, it's amazing to have. We've had loads of folks come join us over the last couple of weeks. And people are really complimentary about the teaching. I don't know why. Or they love the worship. I get that. But I'd say if you're coming here, you want to come to our church, don't come because Sam's cool and he's a great worship leader, which he is. There'll never be a Sam Watson experience here while I'm leading this church. There's no green room. There's no backstage VIP pass here, folks. Come because you want to build something for the city of Sheffield. Come not because you get excited or you get inspired for the week ahead. Come because you want to build something. Come because you want to contribute something to other people. Make other people's lives better. Rock up to your six or your cluster with a heart that says, how can I serve you today? What can I bring to you today? How can I help you today? I've been praying for you. Here's a prophetic word for you. I've been reading the Bible. Maybe this will help you. That is contribution, and that is bringing stuff. And the reason that we do that is because God is a creator. And as God creates us, we are called to contribute with him. We are not designed to consume. Consumption leads us to an unhappy place. In fact, consumption leads us to a place of indifference, which is spiritual death. You see, if you come to this church because you think, it's got, I'm not sure about this church, you know. That, that tall thin guy, he was much better. That's you, by the way. And this bald guy, I don't know. But I like it because it's great for my kids. So I'll tolerate it. I gently want to say that might be consumption. Well, you come here because it's got a reputation. It might be gently. I don't want to humbly say maybe that's consumption. And partly we've alluded to that because we set out these things in rows. But let me tell you what the early church was like. The Lord's Supper changed from a common meal to a ceremony. 
Worship changed from participation to observation. Witness changed from relationship to salesmanship. Ministry changed from personal to almost exclusively social. Leadership changed from gifted and called servants to professionals. Growth changed from multiplication to addition. Mission changed from being to supporting missionaries. Confession changed from public before a small group. Can you imagine? Confess your sins to private. Discipleship changed from on-the-job to classroom training. Fellowship changed from in-depth, in-community living to more surface enlarged meeting. Body life changed from lifestyle to membership. Gifts changed from edification to entertainment. Empowerment changed from God's power to man's ability. Building changed from functional to sacred meeting places. Administration changed from integrated to compartmentalized. Membership changed from producer to consumer. Childcare changed from parental to church responsibility. Ouch! Bible study, Bible study changed from doers of the word to hearers of the word. Evangelism changed from go structures to come structures, and so on and so on. We are called to build. Nehemiah's call was to build the city. Our call is to build, play our part in building the city, wherever it is God has placed you. And Nehemiah was ready for battle. Folks, if we think and approach Jesus and church in a, with a diet of consumption, which is not filling my needs, I'm a little bored. I'm a bit frustrated. It's not really actually. I, I, I kind of like my small group, but I go when I can. I mean, if, you know, if the weather's good, I go. I'd rather be on the beach streets, if I'm honest. I'll turn up if I need to. If, if we do that, then I'm not sure we, we're building. I'm certainly sure we're not battling. Because what Nehemiah is it's absolutely aware of, that the enemy of God, through Sam Ballot and his cronies, is trying to oppose the work of God. If Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that, we, that we, we are in a battle. An old vicar I used to, I say a, bit, a, a vicar I know used to say this, there's a war on. We live like it's peacetime. And if we're consuming, we're consuming if it's peacetime. But there is a battle raging. The devil prowls like a lion, looking for somebody to devour. And if you're not sure, stand outside of school and watch the kids come out addicted to their phones. That'll be a good place to start to pray. And if we're in a battle, facing all kinds of challenges that we face, then the answer may well be psychological. The answer may well be mental health. It may be, but it may be a deeper spiritual problem, a spiritual sickness that only Jesus can truly satisfy. And part of how we do that is as we engage with each other and as we take a prophetic stand as a church against the consumption that defines everything that there is around us and the church life in which we see sometimes even folks in here, and I know that Mick and others and Mike have taught on this for years and years and years, but especially after lockdown, where we were all scattered and watching stuff on our screens, and as somebody told me, not from this church, I might add, but I, said, I, love, I love the lockdown because I can sit in my pajamas and watch church. Really? I get it. But the, surely the prophetic calling of God in this next season is what are we going to build? What are the gifts and the talents? Think of Colossians when the church comes together 
we're going to think as we get to February, we do a vision about what is it that we're going to build as a church and play our part. What are we going to do individually? And to do that, we're going to face all kinds of battles, both personally. I know that there are people here who are facing battles, raging battles. And we're to stand and commit to one another, commit to pray, commit to see God's kingdom come, to king, commit to see the enemy's foothold broken in our lives and the lives of those we love. And folks, the way that we can do that is begin to address and own how consumption has reshaped the conversation. And if we're going to take something from Nehemiah, there is the prophetic call to reset that conversation as people who are battling, ready to pray and see God's power and God's kingdom come in lives and in particular situations. And to hear the call to go as builders with the trowel, whatever your part or my part is, and the sword for the battle. Let's stand together.